Hello, Kairos. Welcome again. We are so glad that you are with us tonight. If we haven't gotten a chance to meet, my name is Lindsay Jacoby, and I would love for us to continue worshiping together by reading God's word. Our text for tonight is going to be in Matthew chapter 7. So we are going to be wrapping up our series called Red Letter Relationships as we look at the words of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount. And so before we do that, I'll invite you to go to the Lord in prayer with me. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Matthew chapter 7, I'll begin reading in verse 24. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I'll say this is the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Jack. I'll say, bless the Lord, if you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Hey, Kairos, uh, it's not Tuesday. Um, it's Sunday, and thanks for moving with us and trying to figure out new rhythms, new capacity issues, all that fun stuff. We met for the first time on Sunday last week, and our whole team kept having to tell ourselves on Monday, it's not Wednesday, it's not Wednesday, it's not Wednesday. So we're trying to get used to this. Um, I hope we'll find a place uh, in your schedule um, and on your worship calendar. Um, I'm looking forward to all that the Lord has for us and in store. Um, we've prayed over every single chair, uh, even the ones that say social distancing, um, and just asking for the Lord to bring a peace and a freedom among his people uh, tonight. So Jacoby, thanks for reading that text. We're finally finishing up the teaching on the hill or Sermon on the Mount, if you will. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, past three months, we've journeyed through it. We're trying to bring it to its conclusion. And Jesus is this master, preacher, storyteller, teacher. 550 words. And he's released a manifesto of the kingdom of God. And he's about to give his conclusion and again, he's comparing, he's contrasting, and now he's giving us this brilliant, colorful word picture of two houses and two builders, one that stands against the storm, one that falls with a great crash. Bottom line statement, what he's saying is, hey, for those 500 words that just came before, if you want your faith to flourish, work these words into your life. Put them into practice. If you want to guarantee that your faith will fail and it'll falter and it'll wither and die on the vine, don't do anything about what I've said. Go increase the love and serve the Lord, which is me. Amen. That's Jesus saying, right? That's how he dismisses them. 
And I can imagine there's kind of this hushed reverence. And one translation says they burst into spontaneous applause because he taught as one with authority. Literally meaning he was actually living the words out that he was speaking. And that was something they had not seen before. Work these words. Put them in to practice. Now, if it's okay with you, I'm going to use an old preacher illustration. Some of you don't know old preachers, so you'll think it's new. But um, uh, this has been used in a variety of different settings by a variety of different people. I don't know who's the original author of it, but we'll give them credit. I'm going to adapt it to my life. Um, and so I'll embellish the details so much so that it kind of makes it authentic to me. Let's just imagine, okay, that I have four kids. I do. Let's just imagine that they've been home with us for six months straight. They have. Let's just imagine that during that time, we've had incredible moments, but also some frustrations. Let's also just imagine, I've kind of noticed some things about my kids that I feel like I need to speak in truth, such as they're slobs. They cannot pick up after themselves. Now, I've always said this, and it's true. We usually get angry at other people's sin that reminds us of our own. This is true. I used to be a slob. I'm still kind of messy. My wife has reformed me of that. I think I've made progress. But it takes an incredible amount of effort for me to clean up after myself. And I don't have much left over for you four slobs. So again, let's just imagine we're all playing pretend here. I have a 15-year-old son. Let's pretend his name is Simon. Let's pretend that his frontal lobe of his brain has not fully yet developed. So when I walk into his room and I can literally smell puberty in my nose, in case you're wondering what that smells like, it's B.O. and Doritos, okay? Not cool rants, spicy nachos. You're welcome. Welcome to the pain and suffering of my life. And I look around his room, the bed is not made, there's clothes, there's underwear, there's God knows what over in the corner, there's crumpled Coke cans because he has like the diet of just the worst thing ever, and there are confetti of crumbs strewn all over the place just waiting for the ants to come to the dance party that he's celebrating later that night. And in a blind rage and full of frustration, I walk out of his room, I start to pray silently, and I say to him lovingly and yet authoritatively, hey, Simon, come here. He ignores me. So then I tap him on the shoulder and he takes out his earbuds and I fantasize about smashing his phone and buying him a flip one. I said, hey, son, look at me. Clean your room. Let's imagine he says, yes, sir, which is great. So off he goes upstairs to clean his room. Now, for the next hour, I get distracted because I've got three other kids I'm trying to clean up after. And then I get outside, and if I see another pop ice wrapper on the ground, I'm going to pick it up and say, if I see another pop ice wrapper on the ground, I'll never buy these for our kids again. So about an hour goes by when I clean up other stuff. We're just imagining here, right? I get back inside, and all of a sudden, I hear music and dancing and laughing and feet shuffling upstairs. I'm like, what in the world? Simon, come down here. He comes down, and four of his friends are trailing with him. There's Blake, Max, Simon, and the rest of the guys. I'm like, what's going on? Dad, you will not believe it. <laughs> you remember when you said to me, clean your room? I said, yeah. Did you clean your room? Dad, I went upstairs, 
and I wrote down those words, clean your room. I broke out my journal and I talked about how it made me feel and what I should do about it. And then I decided I'm gonna memorize it, right? Clean your room. And I decided I just need to dig a little bit deeper because I'm not sure I really caught all the nuances about that. So I looked up like the original Greek and Hebrew behind clean your room. And there was one in Greek, it's like supantonte, my tattoo my eye. And then in Hebrew, it's like alham huyamashe. And I really thought that was cool. And I kind of designed a Hebrew tattoo that I might want to get when I get older and get your permission. That's loosely translated as clean your room. And then I realized, oh my gosh, there's other people that need to know about cleaning their room. So I called my friends up and I said, guys, we need to clean your room. Get over here real quick. Look what my dad said. He said, clean your room. And they're like, oh my gosh, my room's dirty too. So then we all just started confessing the fact that our rooms are dirty. And we accepted your words into our heart, clean your room. We said, God, give us clean hands and clean rooms. And then we realized, oh my gosh, we got to organize ourselves and make sure other people know the me- your message of clean your room. So we decided, we wrote a song about clean your room. It's like, all I want to do is a boom, boom and clean your room, right? We're working on it. We think it's got something good. We came up with this killer logo and graphics, right? That we're going to put on it. And we're now the two live clean room crew, okay? And we're gonna go out and we're gonna tell everybody that they have dirty rooms and that they need to clean your room, dad. It's incredible. What am I gonna look and say to my son at that point? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy, buddy, I love you. Oh man, that's awesome. Let's try to figure out how we dropped that song on Spotify. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you don't really need to make it go viral? A TikTok dance with it. Yeah, let's do that. Is that what I'm going to say to my son? No. What am I going to ask him? Did you clean your room? If I know Simon, he'll say this. Oops, I forgot. Men and women, Jesus is coming back. And I'm going to stand before him. And now the blood of Jesus is going to cover all of my unrighteousness, but he will ask me a question. Did you work these words into your life? And I'll tell you what I don't want to say to him. Oops, I forgot. But I memorized a lot of them. I sang a bunch of songs about them. I got a bunch of people together, and I even talked and preached about it and told funny stories and illustrations. I even wore a couple t-shirts with your words on it. I even went on some mission trips and I told other people about your words. Did you work these words? Did you hear and obey? Were you a wise builder or were you a foolish builder? I think Jesus is giving us a poignant picture of what it looks like for our faith to flourish and to make sure that it does not fail. G.K. Chesterton once put it this way, the Christian ideal, hearing the words of Jesus and putting them into practice has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and therefore left untried. But that's not gonna be us. We're gonna be the kind of people who courageously go, I wanna give this a shot. And I may fail 10 times in a row, but I'm gonna continue to repent and believe. I'm gonna continue to try. I'm gonna continue to build up new muscle memory, new patterns of behavior, new spiritual disciplines. Foundationally, you, Jesus Christ, are the life and the words and the way and the will that I'm building my life on. Because if I don't, when the rains come, the storms blow, and the tornado hits, my life and my faith is gonna come down with a great.
Now, what's interesting is the section right before this, Jesus has some pretty scary words. He basically says, hey, there's gonna be a lot of people in the last day that say, hey, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we lead mission trips in your name? Didn't we preach a bunch of sermons in your name? And I'm gonna look at them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. You workers of iniquity or you evildoers. What Jesus is making is a bold statement right there that your works without faith, it's dead. I don't care how much activities, extracurricular stuff or job experience you have on your religious resume, if it's not built on the faith and the person of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean anything. Now he's gonna flip that coin and he's about to say, but faith without works is dead. You've got to put these words into practice. You've got to work these words into your life. These are not just little additions to make you more comfortable and convenient as a cultural Christian. These are the foundation upon which you need to build your life. Now, it's curious, if you look at this text a little bit closer, it doesn't say anything about the materials and the building style and the plans and the blueprints and the raw materials and the skill of the carpenters was any different. Imagine this, it's the exact same house, exact same plan, all the right wood up to specification. One just decided to build it on the rock. The other one decided to build it on the sand. Now, what he's probably talking about here in his culture and around his area is you built a house in a wadi, which is basically a dry creek bed, which is also pictured in Psalm 23 in the valley of the shadow of death, right? A flash flood will come down there at some point. The winds will come up. The rains will beat down. And if you're in that sand and in that value, it's going to, no matter how strong you built it, it's gonna fall with a great crash. But if you build your life and your faith upon the rock, the work of Jesus Christ, the way we like to say it here is, you can rest in the finished work of Christ. And then you can really get to work because your obedience is flowing out of your identity. You're not doing things so that you get an identity. Christ has already accomplished that for you, but it's time to start building some things on that rock that sits underneath our feet. Work these words into your life. It's tempting, isn't it? Just to find and wanna find the words that make us feel better about ourselves. And here's what Jesus says, by the way, for those of us who build our life on the rock, it doesn't mean that the storms aren't coming. Oh, they're coming for everybody. There's gonna be a death. There's gonna be a relationship that ends. There's gonna be a betrayal of trust that you never saw coming. There's gonna be a conflict in the family that no matter what you do in your best efforts, it's not getting resolved. There's gonna be zeros in the bank account that you didn't anticipate. And you're gonna be facing challenges in life and choices you never expected. That's coming for all of us. The promise is, is that when it comes, the house will not fall with a great crash. That your faith will flourish and you'll know that the Lord is near to all who call upon his name in truth. I don't know about you, 
That's what I want in my life. I want a little bit more perseverance, a little bit more wind resistance. I want to be able to stand up in the face of the storm and adversaries and persecution and temptation and disappointment and depression that my pretty little life isn't working out how I dreamed it would and say Jesus is still on his throne and God is still good. And I want to be able to cry out with Job and really mean it. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, his righteousness. Now, I did some research, um, and when I say that, just understand that's code for I looked on Wikipedia. So, again, that's how most of you write your papers. That's how I'm going to do some research for my sermon. Get over it. I was like, what, 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 what kind of foundation issues do we have? So I found an article like foundation fiascos. Like if you're buying a home, here's what you need to look for. Always get it inspected. But if you're wondering if your house has some foundation issues, which by the way, mine does, which is great. They said, make sure you check for these three things. Hey, if there's cracks in the wall, that's probably an indication that you got something going on with your foundation. If you have uh, doors that don't open or shut properly, Chances are you got a foundation issue because the floors are uneven, which, by the way, that happens in my house, and I just shave the top of the door down until it closes. <laughs> and my teenage daughter, her door just keeps slamming really, really loud. I don't understand what's wrong with it. Um, and then the last one is if you have mold or mildew issues, chances are you got a foundation issue. Now, let me use this as a word picture for those of us who are in the room tonight. Here's what it looks like in the life that you're building if you've got cracks in the wall. It's usually chances are there's something that wounded you in your past and you've never dealt with it or allowed the Lord to heal it. Somewhere along the way, something got cracked in your foundation and you just kind of ignored it. You just did what you could to survive at that time and you needed to and that's okay. But now it's sabotaging your relationships and your behavior and how you relate to people at work and at school, for some reason there's this crack in your character and you can't figure out what's going on. Why do I respond with explosive anger here? Why do I immediately withdraw and play the victim and blame everyone else for what happened to me? Uh, for me, there's plenty of these cracks in my foundation and the Lord has walked me through a lot of them. But one of them was when I was a kid, about every four years I moved around and I was always trying to go into new environments and social situations. Um, and I just assumed rejection. Um, you know, you get picked on and bullied. Back then, that's like when it actually accompanied physical violence, not just words on the internet. But we got both of those things. And so uh, I learned real quick, I, I was never gonna be able to stand up for myself physically. So I became very sarcastic and humorous. So I learned how I could cut you down with my tongue in front of you and behind your back. And again, it helped me survive some awkward teenage years and especially since I wasn't that much good of a fighter. The shadow side of the gift of humor and storytelling that God's given me, instead of using it as a tool, I turned it into a weapon. And then I realized all of a sudden, some of the people closest to me get some of my most cutting, sarcastic comments that I think are funny, but really I've just wounded them severely. I had to do some work down there in the foundation. What happened there, Lord? Why do I assume rejection? Why, as soon as there's conflict, do I have a hard time expressing and identifying my feelings and instead going off and attacking someone else? And when they get hurt, I just say, just kidding. That's not helpful, is it? I don't know what your wound looks like. You don't belong. You're not enough. 
You'll never live up to your own expectations. Things will never change. But somewhere along the line, there was a wound, and you learned how to get through and survive it. But now it's starting, the crack's starting to run up the wall, and it's ruining the people closest to you. And it's time to deal with it. Doors don't open or shut properly. I think uh, uh, if you ever get to know me, um, pretty soon in the conversation, one of my questions will be to you, what's your favorite sin? Because I just want to know where your brokenness is and where your primary places of temptation are. And because of the blood of Jesus and the firm foundation that we stand on, we've been given the ability and the authority to slam the door on Satan's face to his temptation and his lies. Nope, you have no power or authority. Blood of Jesus has covered me and spoken for me. But where are those places in your life where you're trying to shut that door, but you keep leaving it open just a crack? Oh, I know I don't want to continue to return to this, but let me just make sure I have some in case I do. Oh, there's a certain lie or a certain condemning thought that you know is no longer true about you, but oh, when things get rough, you just open up that door and you love to wallow in guilt and shame because it's such a familiar and old friend. What lie or temptation that the enemy is speaking to you that by the power and the authority of Jesus and on a firm foundation, you need to slam that door shut. That's not who you are. That's not who Jesus says you are. And then there's mold and mildew issues. Mold and mildew usually just needs moisture and darkness to grow and spread. For me, at least, this is unconfessed and unaddressed sin patterns in our life. The ones that we've tried to fight, we've begged God, please heal me from this. We've fought the battle in silence and can't understand why the Lord just won't take it from us. But we've never brought it to community or exposed it to light or asked anyone, hey, what can I do with this? And the power is that it stays in the darkness. Uh, the way I like to say it is, I'm sure for those of you who are in Christ, you know that God's forgiven you of your sin, but do you want to be healed of it? Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Does it happen instantaneously? No. That's some foundational work. And usually underneath that moisture is a lie that you believed or a coping mechanism that you've used to deal with stress and woundedness and trauma in your life. But it's a journey. And it's the ability to invite other people in along in it and go, hey, I've got to do some deep foundation work. Would you not leave me or forsake me the same way Jesus wouldn't as I walk through this? I'm not asking you to do my work for me, but I am asking you to look me in the eyes and pray for me. And allow me to confess when I continue to mess up so that I can become who God's calling me to be. Here's the good news. None of this is possible on our own strength and our own discipline. If you're doing it, you're probably miserable by yourself and you're really self-righteous and legalistic about it. But for those of us who are wounded healers, sinners who are saints in the eyes of God, who just cannot get over how good and how kind God is to us, even in the midst of our brokenness being made beautiful again. We know that Jesus literally worked those words into his life, and it worked. Take up your cross and follow me. Why? Because he took up his cross, and for the joy set before him, endured that cross. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became obedient even to the point of death upon a cross. His word 
works. And it works for you, and it works for me, and it can work for all of us in the context of community as we make sure our firm foundation is secure. Now, here's the part you're not going to like. If you've got an annex on your building or a simple addition that you've gone out outside of Christ that you're building right now, I pray that it'll fall with a great crash. And that is a gift from God. And I want to be around men and women who are in community who go, guess what? We're like, what? I had a great crash this week. Because I realized my identity and my approval and my self-worth, well, I was building it up over here on the sand, and some wind came and some storms blew, and it went down with a great crash. And I said, hallelujah, it was bankrupt and empty in the first place, and now I've returned to my firm foundation. You've built areas of your life on the sand, and so have I. Let's pray that they go down with a great crash. Because I want my faith to flourish. And I want the words of Psalm 145 to pour out of my heart and my life and my actions. The Lord is trustworthy in all of his words. He is faithful in all that he does. The Lord upholds those who have fallen down. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all who look to you will see you open up your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing in due season. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways. And watch this. He's kind in all that he does. Even when our false lives and identities are coming down with the great crash, it is a kindness so that we can build our lives on the firm foundation. Amen. So we'd like to take 120 seconds and practice listening prayer. I'm going to ask Jacoby just to kind up, come up and lead us through a guided prayer. So if you're just put yourself in a posture where you're comfortable to pray and listen and receive, I'll ask Jacoby to give us a couple questions that'll take us through our guided prayer. As Chris said, we just want to open up this space in our own hearts for the Lord to give us ears that may be here freshly for the first time. And so I'd love to start by asking you, are there any storms in your life right now that are looming too closely? Are there storms outside your window that are threatening the very structure of your life? If they're not, there will be. And so have you taken the time to inspect the foundation of your life? And so I'll ask you just those things that Chris walked us through, which one of them had your name on it tonight? Where are the cracks? Where are the wounds, old and new, that feel a little too fresh? Where are the cracks of unsurrendered and unsubmitted areas of your life? They're not holding together anymore. Maybe it's a door that's not working. Where have you continued to shut out the voice of God and open up the door to temptation or lies that are easy and close? Or is it mold and mildew that's festering, unconfessed sin, unsurrendered, unrepentant hearts? Which one of those has your name on it? 
whichever one it is, where does the Lord want you to work his words? To work them deep into your bones so they settle into the foundation of everything that you are. And who can help you? Because we can't do it by ourselves. Who's the person who can lock eyes with you and say, I'm not going anywhere. It doesn't matter how much sand you've got. I'm going to help you build. Take 120 seconds. Listen to the Lord and ask him to speak clearly to reveal where it is you need to work his words 